couple of weeks ago, I got a phone message from a man with a Christian organization saying that he had sent me some material and uh, wondered if I had looked at it. And he wanted to know if we were interested in talking further about it. I get a lot of these calls. I'm sure you do too. And the tendency is to say, oh, no thank you. Uh, we're already doing this, or we're, already, we're not interested in that, and moving on. But this man said something that changed my approach. He said, but would you be so kind and gracious to respond to this call? What do you do then? Of course, you have to respond. He was gracious. So I had to respond graciously. God has also called us to respond to something that he has done for us. And the question is, will we? Will we respond graciously? He has sent us something. He has sent us a son. How will we respond to him? Let's read from Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, let us not forget that this is your sovereign, supernatural word. And therefore, it is alive, and it is relevant. 
And it is to speak to us and challenge us. So, Father, we pray that you will open your word to our hearts and you will open our hearts to your word so that when we leave here this morning, we will be changed, we will not be the same, and people will see that we have been with Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. On December 26, 2004, a huge earthquake rocked the South Pacific. And as a result of that earthquake, a giant wave, a tsunami, began to roll out in ripple fashion from the area. That tsunami destroyed, or, uh, destroyed much and killed over 150,000 people in that southeast Pacific area. For, year, for weeks and months, we have heard stories of amazing rescues, of people surviving uh, really horrendous experiences, of all the aid and all the response that began to pour in. And after about three months, we didn't hear much about it anymore. It passed on, as so many things do. Matthew here is also telling us about an earthquake, but this earthquake heralded a much different result, life instead of death. And the results of this are still rippling down to our age some 2,000 years later. It announced the resurrection and how we're to respond to it. The resurrection demands a response from you and me. It will not do for us to simply sit back and talk about it one day out of the year and then move on as if it didn't happen. It requires us to change our lives because it is a life-changing experience and event. In fact, this resurrection calls for three responses from us. But each of these responses must be in its right order, or else we do tend to forget, and we don't respond to it. First of all, the resurrection should lead us to wonder. The resurrection and the events that uh, surrounded that resurrection affected Jesus's Followers and had that response or that effect of wonder for them. First, there's the earthquake, a great, a violent earthquake. It says in the original Greek, a mega earthquake. Now, for us who've grown up in the Midwest, I don't think we fully appreciate earthquakes. We don't experience very often. Certainly not a mega earthquake like this. But in the Middle East, those things do happen to a large extent and often. In fact, before this earthquake, there had been an earthquake just a couple of days before when Jesus died. There was an earthquake that ripped the veil in the Holy of Holies from top to bottom. An extremely unusual event. Now comes a second earthquake. Matthew explains to us that this earthquake actually was caused by an angel coming down from heaven, from lightning, as he came down. 
as he rolled the stone away from the tomb. Now, it's important for us to understand that the angel didn't come to roll the stone away in order for Jesus to get out. Jesus had already risen from the dead. He didn't need an angel to help him to get out of the tomb. He is God. But the angel came, and in its coming was the lightning. Now, remember, when this happens during the day, it's early in the morning. It's dark. There's just a little faint glimmers of dawn beginning to come. And suddenly, one lightning strike. Not a bunch to get ready for this one, but one. And it is so amazing that it causes these soldiers to simply become paralyzed. They cannot move anymore. No warning leading up to it. I can remember many times growing up on the farm, we would be out in the fields and uh, suddenly a storm would come up and we would rush with the tractor. Those were the days when you didn't have cabs on tractors and you were just really exposed to the weather. We would rush the tractor and everything that we were pulling to get under a, a tree in the middle of the field. Now, as I think about that today, I think, what's wrong with that picture? That's not very smart. But we would rush there because we were looking for protection. That's what a storm would do. This storm caused these soldiers to be frozen. Now, are we talking about a couple soldiers who are just kind of wimps? No, we're talking about Roman soldiers, battle-wearied soldiers, people who had faced death, looked it in the, in the face. They were strong, they were courageous. And yet they are struck with wonder because of that. Now the angel here in verse 5 comforts the women and says, Do not be afraid. They were frightened. And there is the scene of the open tomb. Now, tombs, burial places are frightening. Especially at this time of the day. And so, they don't know what to expect. John 19, 12 gives a little bit more information, and it says that Mary looked inside, and she saw two angels sitting there, one at the head and one where the, foot, uh, where the feet of Jesus would have been. Now, two angels. Think back. Might this remind us of the golden cherubim? in the Holy of Holies, who with their outstretched arms would have overshadowed the, the uh, mercy seat where the sacrifice had been made. And this was the Holy of Holies. This was the place that only the high priest could go into once a year. It was an awesome place. A place of wonder. And now... Here's Mary looking in, seeing two angels sitting at the head and at the foot where the real, the once for all time sacrifice had taken place. Where Christ had given his body and his blood. No wonder they would have been struck with wonder, with awe. The resurrection led everybody who was in any way involved in it to respond with wonder. 
But we're not there. We're here 2,000 years later. Does it still strike us with wonder? Is that still our response when we read verses about Easter and about wonder? Can we be filled with the wonder of Jesus' resurrection and the resulting presence of it? A woman went into an ice cream store, a Haagen-Dazs store, and she ordered her ice cream, and the uh, clerk put it on the cone and gave it to her. And she reached down and paid the clerk, and then she turned around, and she ran right into Paul Newman, the actor. You know, the blue eyes that just melted her. And uh, he had been in town for making of a movie, and she looked at And she was so overwhelmed that she simply rushed out of the ice cream store. But as she got outside, common sense prevailed a little bit more. And she realized she didn't have her ice cream. So she went back into the ice cream parlor. And she runs into Paul Newman. And he says, "Um, are you looking for your ice cream? I think you put it in your purse with your change. Now, if somebody would uh, be so overwhelmed by the mere presence of an actor, how much more should we be struck with wonder in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the risen Savior, who is God eternal and God's Son? Can we not also be struck with wonder as we think about the meaning behind the resurrection? That it means that Christ is now present, omnipresent, and with his people at all times. The resurrection should lead to wonder, but that wonder should then also lead to worship. You see here that these women, when they come in contact with Christ, fall down and worship him. Now, wonder is generally kind of passive. It's something that just happens to us. Worship is active. It is something that we do. Remember that these women are Jews. Jews believed in only one God. Now, if you believe in a lot of gods, then what's one more God? You just add them. But if you believe in one God, and you have been told all your life that he is so awesome that you can't even pronounce his name, this is amazing. For these women who had known Jesus as a human being to fall down and worship him. Unheard of by Jews. And This was a risky thing for them to do, given what the Jewish leaders had said and done. But they humbled themselves and exalted Jesus. They were beyond their comfort zone. What could could prompt this kind of an unprecedented response? 
they had encountered the unspeakable. Something they had never thought would happen. They experienced something that could not be explained any other way than God was in this. And this was God. They experienced the Lord and they experienced a great joy and a great satisfaction. This is real worship. Real worship happens when we experience the supernatural. And we know there is no other explanation for it than that God has shown up in some amazing way. Someone so wonderful. Someone who satisfies us with overwhelming grace and joy and peace. Real worship comes when we focus on Him. That's the only way this kind of worship is going to be possible. We forget about ourselves. We forget about everything around us. We forget even about how people might respond to the way that we worship. They fell on their faces before Him. Real worship happens when we encounter the supernatural and someone so superior to us that we recognize how absolutely small we are. When Morton Construction Company was building our sanctuary and our church, I went to every day to look at progress. And the first day I went, one of the Morton men gave me a hard hat. He said, now when you come here, you wear this hard hat. Because there's stuff going on here and there's stuff that's flying around. And you can get hurt if you're not wearing that hard hat. Someone suggested that maybe when we come into worship, we ought to be wearing a hard hat. We ought to be wearing a crash helmet. Because there's amazing things going on here. Spiritual beings around us. And God is here with us. And that is amazing and it is also scary. It should be. Because this is a holy God. Does that describe our worship? Does that describe your worship? If not, is the God that you and I worship too small? Is it a God that we have kind of made up on our own? Is it a God that we have manufactured that is more comfortable to us? The God of the Bible is wonder and wonderful. I wonder if it's maybe because we focus too much on other things when we come to worship. We focus on our deadlines, on the things that we have to get done. The difficulties of our lives, the deadlines. Maybe we're too focused on ourselves or our world. So what do we do? We focus on what these disciples, on what these women focused on. The risen Savior and the impact of that resurrection on us today. 
we do not have to fear death whenever it comes our way because of the resurrection. We do not have to fear the things that are happening in our lives because they are not eternal. Eternal life is eternal. We do not have to fear because things aren't going the way we want them to go. So what? There's another life coming. We don't have to be discouraged if a loved one has died. Because if they know the Lord, we know that we're going to see them again. We don't have to be overwhelmed by our own struggles with sin and the consequences of sin in our lives because we know that Christ has triumphed over that. The resurrection makes all the difference and ought to cause us to worship. But clearly, it doesn't end with worship because worship then leads to witness and work. You notice here that after Jesus appeared to the women, he told them, go and tell my disciples to go to Galilee and meet me on this mountain. He had work for them to do. And it says in verses 16 and 17 that the disciples went. And then in 18 and 19 and 20, Jesus has work for them to do and he has work for us to do today, that of witnessing to the fact that he has risen from the dead. Notice that the witnessing comes after worship. And worship comes after wonder. That has to be the order in which it takes place. Witnessing is the logical step if you think about it. In worship, we tell God what we think of Him. In witness, we tell the world what we think of God. And it is good news. It is life-changing news. Where have we ever heard any better news than this? What better news do we have to give to someone who has lost a loved one? What better news do we have to give to someone who is struggling with his own sin? What better news do we have to give to someone who knows that they will never be out of their life of poverty? What better news do we have to give to a dying person? No wonder that we ought to witness. You've probably seen those commercials. Uh, they seem to be ubiquitous. Uh, coach goes to the pitching mound. And he says to the pitcher, I've got some good news. And the pitcher says, oh, you're going to leave me in? Let me finish the inning? No, no. I just called Geico and I'm going to save a ton of money. You know, it's a letdown. So many of the other things that we talk about, even on Sunday morning, are nothing but a letdown. When you think of the real good news that we have to talk about. Why did Jesus want his disciples witnessing about his resurrection? Because that's what people needed to know. Because that's what really happened. And because there were people who were doubting it and were spreading lies that it hadn't happened. Why does Jesus send us out today to witness to the resurrection? Because there's still people who haven't heard about it. There's still people who need to know that it really happened. 
And there are still people who are infested by the lies. Take, for example, just a couple of years ago, the, the book and the movie, The Da Vinci Code. Resurrecting the old lie that Jesus really didn't die from the dead and he didn't rise from the dead. A witness has responsibility to tell what he has seen. You and I have a responsibility to tell what we have experienced. We know of the risen Savior. You notice what Jesus does to encourage his disciples to talk about the resurrection? He promises them, I will be with you always. A pastor went to visit a young man in his congregation who had survived a, a very bad chemical accident that had left him blind. And he asked the young man, what was it like when this first happened to you? What, what were you thinking? He said, well, I was mad. I was angry. I was confused. And for the first half year, I really could do nothing. I didn't go anywhere. I ate by myself. I was just totally in myself. And then one morning, my dad came and said to me, John, winter's coming. I want those storm windows in when I come home this evening. You need to do that. And he left. And the young man said, I thought to myself, how dare he? Doesn't he understand that I am blind? I can't see those things. And after a while, he wasn't just angry. I'll fix them. I'll put those windows in. I'll fall off that ladder. And he'll have a son that's not just blind, but paralyzed. That'll show him. So he felt his way out to the barn, got the ladder, managed to get it up against the house, changed the windows. And by the end of the day, he was done. And that's when he discovered that his father had never been more than four or five feet from him all day. He was with him. Christ gives us work to do. And so often we think we're all alone by ourselves. He's there with us every moment of the day. Walking beside us as we witness about him. As we talk about him. Witness is possible because of the withness of Jesus Christ. And withness is possible because he has risen from the dead and he lives eternally. And he is not only in heaven interceding for us, he is with us as we walk here on this earth so that we respond in wonder and in worship. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands... A constant response from you and me. Will we be so kind as to respond to his graciousness? Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed. We are amazed at what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. And then forgive us because we don't live 
like we really believe you rose from the dead. We still live too much in this day and this time and for this day and this time. Grab a hold of us with this truth. Shake us. And don't let us forget and consign this wonder and this worship to one day out of the year. Thrill us with the truth of the resurrection. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.